You are at the right place at the right time. Welcome to the Discover the Word podcast with Kevin Perney. This is a ministry of discovertheword.net. All right, let's all stand, open your Bibles to Matthew 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16 and verse 18. We'll break into this dialogue between the Lord Jesus and Peter. And he says in verse 18 to Peter, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Tonight's message, a promised perpetuity. A promised perpetuity. Let's pray. Dear Father, it's with thankful hearts and bowed heads that we thank Thee that You have given us a pulpit, an opportunity to teach a people that are hungry to learn. I realize there's a variety of needs tonight, and there's people who are suffering from... uh, soul declension or from a spiritual heart problem and so tonight's message may not be the best message for that person but i'm afraid if we're not careful we preachers we always preach what we think people need and we fail to teach the whole counsel of god and so tonight oh lord i pray that through the internet cd ministry or even by way of television that you would bless this message and that uh, the critics would uh, find the truth, an anvil, that uh, many a hammer has been uh, broken upon. Lord, I pray that you would draw sinners to yourself and draw saints uh, to your church. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. In history, and in recent or recent precedents, I believe that if things do not square with Scripture, then there is no credibility with a Bible-believing Christian. If something you believe or say, this fellow that I talked to, I alluded to in prayer time, uh, he didn't agree with that. He did not believe the Bible was the standard, the litmus test, to test all uh, theories and all beliefs and all practices. I do. I believe this this is the yardstick right here. And uh, I believe our methods, everything we do, ought to square with Scripture or harmonize or at least not contradict the Scripture. Now remember the first message. What saith the Scripture? That was a very important message that Baptists believe and through the ages that we are Bible-believing. And just like what William Farrell said, he said, sola Biblia. You know, it's the Scriptures only. It's your opinion, your, your, your tradition doesn't matter in comparison to the Word of God. So we hold to that tenaciously. That is a truth I'll die for if God gave me the grace. Now, does the inspired Word of God promise a perpetuated existence for His kind of church? That's really the question. You see, anybody can take history and make it say whatever you want to say, including the Baptists. 
A Baptist can shade the truth here and there, interpret history any which way he wants. And really, history is wonderful, but history, in my opinion, does not settle the dispute. What does the Bible say? Then if history will dovetail into what Scripture says, now we've got, I think, something that we can bank on. If the Bible does teach that the Lord's kind of churches will perpetuate throughout the ages, then it behooves every child of God to discover where this church is. Now, I've gotten many a debate, many an argument. Uh, someone said, well, I don't believe it matters what church you go to. As long as you believe in Christ, you're going to heaven. Well, that's true. That's very true. Now, are there other things that matter besides going to heaven? No, not really. Well, then why go to work? Why pay your bills? Come on, man. I mean, I know I look a little stupid, but I'm not that stupid. There's other things that matter besides going to heaven. And so I think it does matter what church you go to. I think it does matter what you believe. Now, if I thought that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if I thought that that was the true Church of Jesus Christ, I'd join the Mormon Church. If I thought the Kingdom Hall was the right one, I'd join the Kingdom Hall. If I thought the church that Martin Luther started was the right church, I'd join the Lutheran Church. I really believe that. I mean that. Where is the Lord's kind of churches in the year 2007? I want to give you a couple of quotes and I almost want to play a game with you. I want you to tell me who made this statement. Quote, From apostolic age to the present time, the sentiments of Baptist and the practice of baptism has had a continued chain of advocates. And public monuments of their existence in every century can be found and produced. Unquote. Who made that statement? Anybody write it? Yes, sir. Very good. What was his name? Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell made this comment in a debate with Mr. McCullough, who was a Presbyterian preacher. Now, this is made by the man who founded the Church of Jesus Christ, the Church of Christ in Christian Union. Let me give you another one. Quote, I should not readily admit that there was a Baptist church as far back as A.D. 100, Though without doubt there were Baptists then, as all Christians were then Baptist. Unquote. Who made that statement? No. Yes, sir. No. This was in a letter written to J.A. Carroll, Gerald, the guy who wrote Trail of Blood. His name was John Clark Redpath, a famous Methodist commentator. He's a in fact, in Methodist circles, he's considered a scholar. John Clark Redpath. Now, those are quite, you know, because who cares what a Baptist thinks? This is what a Church of Christ fellow said and what a Methodist said. Now, what we, do we mean by perpetuity? Perpetuity means that something that had begun in time will continue in successive stages, in successive ages. The Lord Jesus started his church in his earthly ministry, built upon himself, the rock, and promised that the gates of hell, Pulai Hadu, would not prevail against this church. Now, there's been a lot of discussion, what are the gates of hell? And people, some people say, well, it's just talking about death. Other people say it's talking about satanic forces. Well, which is it? It's both. It didn't say death would not prevail against this church. 
It says the gates of the gates of hell. The gates of hell. Now, gates in the Bible are often referred to as headquarters. It's places, it's the, it's the headquarters of hell, it's the headquarters of darkness. So I believe what the Lord is saying is that when the church is going forward on its mission and winning souls and baptizing and establishing churches, that satanic headquarters can't stop you. The gates of hell cannot stop. But I think it also says the gates of hell, meaning death, meaning the forces of death and successive generations will never extinguish the existence of my kind of churches. I believe it's both. And here we are, 2,000 years, if Jesus told the truth, then his kind of churches ought to be here today. Now, I'm going to say that again. That's kind of my thesis statement. If Jesus tells the truth, then the church that he started ought to be here today somewhere. Somewhere. Now, if it's in the Himalayan mountains, then let's go there and find it. If it's over in Rome, let's go join it. If it's in Salt Lake City, we'll go join it. But his church, is, his church or churches are on earth today if Jesus told the truth. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. One more statement for those who missed the first two messages. There is no such thing as a universal invisible church. It doesn't exist except in the minds of people who want to explain away scripture. The word church can never be stretched to mean universal. And it can never be made invisible. So the church is a local body, visible body of believers. So why is church perpetuity so important? I'm going to give you five reasons why church perpetuity is so important. Number one, church perpetuity, as spoken of in the Bible, is very important because of evangelism. Because of evangelism. Jesus ordained his church to evangelize the world, did he not? Acts 1.8, ye shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. So he told his church to evangelize and that his church would be doing this noble work until he comes back. Now, in case you think I'm on slippery slope when I say that, consider Matthew 28. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, the end of the age. Amen. Now, wait a minute. Who was he talking to? He was talking to his church. What did he tell his church? I want you to go out and win souls, make disciples, baptize and disciple them, teach them all things, to observe all things, and I'm with you to the end of the world. Now, that scripture right there tells me then that his kind of church is going to be doing his kind of work on planet Earth when he comes back, that's a promise. And so the reason why church perpetuity is so important is because evangelism. Somebody's got to go out there and win the lost and teach them. Now, if the church does not have a perpetual continuance, then what will happen is, and we've already seen it. Look, come on, I mean, come on. Haven't you noticed what happens to parachurch organizations when they take evangelism, it always degenerates into some Arminian pagan recruitment program. Amen. Just raise your hand, bow your head, sign the card, do this, and you can get in. We're just going to love you into Jesus. And this stinking Arminian type of soul winning has corrupted and sent people to hell. Amen. 
That's what's happened. And the Lord's kind of churches are the ones holding the line on this truth. That it's through repentance and faith in Christ. Not just bow your head and repeat a prayer. Where in the Bible does it tell you to bow your head and repeat a prayer? I, I don't understand why people won't ask that question. And yet preachers, I guess, I guess it's because preachers, you dare not question their integrity. But I see, once again, who's higher, Dan Farrell or the Bible? This is, the, this is it. This is the authority. I can't contradict this and hope to keep my job. This Bible's it, and this Bible tells you how to win souls, and it's not, excuse me, your shoe's untied. Now, while your head is bowed, just say this little prayer. You don't trick people into trusting Christ. You don't use psychological methods. It's repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that the Lord's kind of churches for 2,000 years have been faithful to evangelism, and they've got the martyrs to prove it. You know why? You want to know why the Lord's kind of churches were butchered and massacred? Because they wouldn't keep their mouths shut. If they would have been a bunch of hyper-Calvinists and just get inside the little catacombs or get inside the little caves or get into a cellar and so on, if they would have done that, they never would have been discovered and they wouldn't have been hunted and killed. But they couldn't keep their mouths shut. And so they kept going out and spreading the gospel. Well, you get found out, and so the next thing you know, somebody's dying on a burning stake. I mean, we've got the martyrs and the annuals and volumes of history to prove it. So number one, church perpetuity is very important because of evangelism. By the way, let me show you another one. Who is it that really cooperates with the Holy Spirit? Turn in to Revelation 22. In verse 16, the Lord Jesus Christ is getting ready to close out the great book that we call the Bible. And it says in chapter 22 and verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Notice it didn't say the universal invisible church. It didn't say the body of Christ. It said churches. I am the root and the offspring of David the bright and morning star. Now watch this. And the spirit and the bride say come. The first organization on earth that ought to be first in soul winning, first in missions and evangelism ought to be the Lord's kind of church. And there it is. The spirit and the bride say come. Now there, you don't have to be a member of a true church to be evangelistic. So knows, And let him that hears say come. So see, uh, praise God for every protestant that welcomed men and women to come to christ i thank god for martin luther in that regard and other men all right so let him that hears say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely number two church perpetuity is important because of the ordinances the church only has two ordinances and foot washing is not one of them the church only has two ordinances the lord's supper and believer's baptism. That's it. And this is what really aggravates me about Baptists. And you mean to tell me you can't stay faithful to two ordinances? I mean, God didn't give you 200. He just gave you two. Two. And you can't hold the line on that. By the way, I believe these two ordinances, both of them are restricted to members and tied to the truth. 
I, these, uh, you know what happens? I, what it is, see, we don't use the ordinances to win souls. See, that's what evangelism does. The Lord's Supper is to enrich the body of Christ, in, in, our, in our sense, Morning Star Baptist Church, to enrich our, re, our fellowship with Jesus. All right? Baptism is the initiation into our church. You must be scripturally baptized to join a scriptural church. Why is it that Baptists take the Lord's Supper and open it to all believers? Why? Because they're trying to get other people to come to church. Where do you read that the Lord's Supper was ever to be used as an evangelistic tool? I don't believe in open communion. I believe, I believe open communion is a travesty, and every church that partakes of open communion will destroy itself. You will implode. And we don't, we don't believe in open communion, and we don't take alien immersion. And we'll explain that in a couple weeks. So a lot of you have questions about that, and I'm glad. Well, what's so big? What's the big deal? What's, well, you're going to find out in two weeks what the big deal is. It's a serious situation. And Morningstar, to stay scriptural, to stay pure, we have to hold on. You say, but people don't like it, and they get mad. Well, you know, I got a, I got a choice. Do I make you mad or I make him mad? Amen. We're going to be true to God on this. And try to be kind to you, but that's up to you what you want to get mad about. Notice in, second, in 1 Corinthians 11. By the way, tonight I'm going to show you a proof text for everything I say on these major points. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now watch this. And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till... He come. What's my point? His kind of church is going to be observing the Lord's Supper when he comes back. Now, in the year 2007, 2010, whenever Christ comes back, there are going to be his kind of churches observing the Lord's Supper because he said, till he come, till I come back. So I believe that the Lord's kind of churches have to be here or else this scripture is misleading. And it's the same thing with baptism Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, go, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Ghost. So I believe that there are going to be New Testament churches on planet Earth observing the Lord's Supper and practicing believers' baptism when Christ comes back. Maybe a few, maybe not many, because let's face it, they're falling. Everywhere you see them falling. I mean, uh, there's not many true churches that are standing for the truth anymore, not like there used to be. But praise God, there's going to be some. The scripture says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. If the, the New Testament church has not had a continued existence since the first century, then the ordinances are nothing more than sentimental symbols. That's all they are. Now I'm going to say it again. If there has not been a continued existence of New Testament churches since the first century, then the Lord's Supper and baptism are nothing more than sentimental symbols. That's why when people go to the Holy Land, sometimes some, you know, some pinhead will say, hey, does anybody want to get baptized? 
Anyone get baptized in the Jordan River? Yeah, I want to get baptized. And you've got people out there in the Jordan River, and you know what baptisms become? It's nothing but a family heirloom. Who cares? They don't know what... Uh, I won't tell you what preacher. I just don't want to drop his name. But there's a preacher that went to, the, to the Israel uh, about maybe 15 years ago. Took 140 Baptist preachers with him. And I knew these, some of these men. And my two professors, W.E. Dow and R.O. Woodworth, were the only two men that would not take the Lord's Supper over there in Jerusalem when this preacher said, hey, let's all us preachers get together and have the Lord's Supper. And 138 of them did it. But thank God W.E. Dow and R.O. Woodworth said, we're not doing it. Because the Lord's Supper is more than just a little sentimental, let's eat a little cracker, let's drink a little thimble of wine. Oh, doesn't, isn't that feel good? It's more than that. And I'm not making it a sacrament. I'm just saying that it's under the authority of a New Testament church or it's not the Lord's Supper. Number three, church perpetuity is important because of doctrinal truth. See, if the New Testament church was the papal church in Rome, and then it apostatized, and then was re- tried to be reformed by the Protestants, well, then if that's the case, well, then truth is relative. Who cares, man? I mean, who knows what truth is? If the Roman church in Rome used to be the true church, and everybody agrees it's apostatized, well, then, who, who knows what the truth is? Maybe that guy I talked to yesterday is right. I was talking to this fella. He's a nice fella. He is, he's studying to be a lawyer. He got his law degree. And he goes to one of the local big churches around here, and he said he used to be a Southern Baptist. And he's a nice fella, so we're talking to him. You know what he told me? He said that this book, um, you really can't know for sure what God wants you to know because men wrote the book. And um, they wrote, he says, now I'm not saying they lied, but he said they wrote the Bible based on what they thought was right. And, and, and now today, you really can't take this book too seriously. He said, besides, it's not the words, it's not the things in the book what matters. It, it, it's really just the thought. He goes, as long as we love Jesus and believe in Jesus and believe in the Father, that's really all that matters. Of course, you can imagine what church he goes to. And so I listened to all this, and I said, well, you know, the Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I says, you know, you kind of sound like an NIV man. And he looked at me, and I said, I've read the preface of the NIV. Talk about dynamic equivalence. They don't believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. I said, I'm a King James man. I believe that every word is precious. I believe that every word matters. I believe in the, pl- the verbal, plenary, inspiration of Scripture. Verbal means every word. Plenary means throughout. I believe the Bible, every word, you can't leave one word out. Amen. I said, but dynamic equivalence is just saying, well, it's just thoughts. It's just thoughts. Well, man, I, I don't know. I don't know where you went to school, but thoughts are meaningless unless there's words to convey them. Right. You've got to have words to convey a thought. How do you know what God was? I said, so you mean to tell me that you don't, you correct the Bible, the Bible doesn't correct you? And so we got into it a little bit. He was nice and I was nice. And I thought to myself, that's what we've come to, boys and girls. We don't have a Bible anymore. It's just how you feel about it. Our religion today, Christian has become a pagan religion today. It's all existential. All that matters is how you feel. How do you feel about it? He told me, he says, well, really, there's no one really wrong or right. Now, you see, this is why the Lord's true churches have continued. It's because of the truth. 
Turn to Jude, verse 3. Now, every 50 or 100 years, you've got some, you know, you've got some fruit loop that comes along and says that God has given him a vision and God has, you know, told him to restart and kickstart the true church and he had Joey Smith in 18, what was it, like 1830 and you got Rutherford and Russell doing the Jehovah Witness thing back there in the 1800s and you got some, now you got some numbskull down in Venezuela saying he's Jesus Christ. You've always got these wackos and, 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 and some people are taken in by it and here's why. People are always taken in by these cults and isms because they don't understand Jude verse 3. Now look at Jude verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, what that means is anybody who's truly saved, you're only saved one way. There's only one true salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Wait a minute, I thought all that matters as long as you trust in Jesus, go to heaven. That's really all that matters. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It says, earnestly contend for the faith, watch this, which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, here's what God is saying. The Lord is saying through Jude, he's saying, I'm going to give you the embodiment of truth, the faith, and I'm going to give it to my churches. Now, I want you to contend for it. Now, to contend for it means to guard it, means to defend it, to promote it, to teach it, to hide it in your heart, and don't compromise. Contend for the faith so the next generation will have it. Now, that faith is not going to be given again. I'm going to say it again. It's not going to be given again. It's only been given once. And our forefathers contend for it with their blood. And that's, one, that's why it just gets up my left nostril when people say, well, what's the big deal about history? Who cares about history? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I, here's the way I look at it. If people gave their lives for what they believed in, I suspect you could at least read about it. Come on, folks. Earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. So, Joey Smith, you're a liar. Rutherford, you're a liar. Alexander Campbell, you are a liar. Alexander Campbell said that Christianity had apostatized and God had sent him to restore the faith. And I was talking to a Campbellite preacher one time. I said, so I guess you're telling me Christ is a liar. Because Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. I said, your problem is you think the church is the Roman Catholic church. That's your problem. You, do, you wouldn't know a, a true New Testament church if you were standing in one. That's the problem. And you think you're going to reform a false church, a harlot church. And so I believe that this truth then shows us that the Lord's kind of churches are to contend for the faith. Look at 1 Timothy 3.15. Well, if the New Testament church goes out of existence, or if Dan Farrell's all wet, that true New Testament churches have not continued since Jesus started, well, then I'd like to ask you, who's going to contend for the faith then? Who's going to uphold the truth? Look at verse 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Oh, wait, wait a minute. The church of the living God. Uh, Frank, is that the local New Testament church or is that a universal invisible church? I, I would like to ask you another question. Just how do you behave in a universal invisible church? 
Yeah, you get, you, I love talking to people that, you know, well, I just believe in, the, I believe in the true church, the universal invisible church. Well, Paul says, now I want you to know how to behave yourself in the house of God, the church, the living God. How do you behave in the universal invisible church? You explain, I mean, you can tell me that, man, I'm all ears. This is a local New Testament church, local visible church. Now, so notice what he says, the, the local New Testament church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. She is the custodian, the librarian of the truth. Therefore, if the pillar falls down and the ground caves in, the truth falls down. Now, here's what I'm saying. Jesus promised that his kind of churches would perpetuate. If they haven't, the truth falls to the ground. And I'm not saying the church is more important than the truth. I'm just saying her job is to contend for the truth. And she has for 2,000 years, somewhere and sometime. Number four, church perpetuity is important because of Christ's honor. If the New Testament church that Jesus built does not continue as promised or does not finish her mission, then the Lord Jesus Christ failed and he'll be mocked. Case in point, Luke 14. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14 and then Matthew 6. If the New Testament church does not continue as promised, then Jesus Christ is dishonest and he has failed. Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You think that's Christ? You mean to tell me you think Christ started building this church and didn't count the cost and didn't finish it? Christ is going to finish it. And he did count the cost, and he gave his blood. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for it. He did count the cost. Let me show you another one, Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. The Lord Jesus is to be blamed if the storms of history have washed away his church. If the storms of the Spanish Inquisition, if the storms of European persecution, if all those things have washed away the existence of his church, then Christ is a liar. Look at, John, at Matthew 6, and uh, let's see. It's not Matthew 6, it's Matthew 7 and verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Christ said, upon this rock, I'll build my, ha uh, my house, my my ecclesia, my church, all right? And look at verse 25. And the rain descended and the floods came. Here comes persecution. And the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. <laughs> and Christ is that rock. All right, verse 26. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. There you go, Luther. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So I say again, 
If church perpetuity is not true, then Christ's honor is at stake. Remember what Jesus said. Upon this rock I will build my church. Therefore, church perpetuity must be true. Now I'm going to give you the last one. Church perpetuity is true because of Christ's glory. Because of Christ's glory. You see, the Lord promised that his church would perpetuate until he comes back. We saw that in Matthew 28. The Lord's kind of churches hold that Christ as their first love and that they love Christ and that he is the only one to receive glory and honor through them. Now, let's be honest. Can Christ receive honor and glory through other means? Why, of course. You can be out on the golf course and give God glory. And I dare say you don't have to be straight on doctrine. You don't have to be a Baptist to bring glory to God. Who? I don't believe that. There's a, a myriad of ways to bring glory to God other than through a New Testament church. But I believe there is a special glory that he receives through his kind of church. And you don't care what I think. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, let me put it this way. Don't you think if there is a, if there is a woman in the world that ought to promote and brag on a certain man, it ought to be the man's wife, shouldn't it? Isn't the church referred to as the bride? Have you ever met a bride that loves her espousal, loves her bridegroom, that does not brag and bring glory to him? Man, he's fairer than 10,000. He's the most handsome man. He's the strongest man. Now, after she's been married to him for 20 years, you know, the old sot, the old dog, who cares? But um, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, if any, if any woman is going to, to be a fan and be a supporter of this man, it ought to be his wife or his bride, his wife-to-be. Now, in Ephesians 3.21, then that's what it's saying. Christ receives his best glory. Christ receives his purest glory through his bride, the church. Why? Because we care about everything he says. Well, I don't see what the big deal is. I mean, sprinkling babies, who cares? Well, I'll tell you it's a big deal because Christ said immerse them. And so we're going to bring glory to God in our baptism. And we're going to bring glory to God in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to bring, I mean, the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. That's what we're going to preach and teach. And the Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're going to do that. You see, the church is the place where you can find a woman who really cares what Jesus thinks and tries to do it. We love Jesus. We're about obedience to Christ. And that's why it says in Ephesians 3.21, Unto Him be glory through the church. Unto Christ Jesus throughout all ages. Now what about that part? All ages. You mean just the apostolic age? Or the apostolic age and the middle ages? And the reformation years? And the early American years? And what about these years? You see, you don't get off the hook. If this scripture is true, 
then there is a New Testament church that, just like Jesus started, on planet Earth right now. It's here. It's got to be. If this scripture is true, if there's got to be a church, now where is it? That's the question. Now, I don't know what you think about this message. I, I, don't, I know this. If you were listening tonight, you just heard an airtight message. I set out to do one thing. I set out to prove that church perpetuity is in the Bible. And without your approval, I don't need your approval. I did it. I took you to about seven portions of Scripture that completely substantiate that church. Per I didn't tell you which church it was. But unless you think perpetuity is an unthinkable thing, well, let me ask you this. Has not the sovereign God perpetuated the human race? You say, what did Adam and Eve look like? A lot what we look like. I mean, look around. God has perpetuated the human race. Now, if you look at Dean, you may kind of wonder about that, but I... Duh, you're a fine specimen. Um, God has perpetuated the nation of Israel. Has he not? I mean, as much as we tried to get rid of them, Israel's still here. God has still perpetuated and preserved the Bible. It's still here. No book has been hated like this book. No book has been burned like this book. They got William Tyndall and they burned all his Bibles with him. They dug up the bones of John Wycliffe and burned all his Bibles with him. And the King James partly compared itself to the Wycliffe translation. No Bible been hated like this book. We still got it. Why is it incredulous that God would perpetuate his church? He said he would. What about beehives? Haven't beehives been perpetuated? How far, that, how, how far back do beehives go? Well, I suspect beehives go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But I can hear the critic sitting there in his living room watching TV. Yeah, but you can't trace your grandparents back and your great-grandparents. And that's true. How many of you can trace your family line two centuries? I mean, trace them two centuries. Maybe a century. How many of you can do that? And there's a lot of Jews. They know they came from the stock of Abraham and Sarah, but they don't know how they got here. And what about the beehive? Can you trace that beehive to the other beehive? But you know what? We know that beehives come from beehives. And we know where Jews come from. And I may not know who your mother and father is, but I got a funny feeling you had a mom and dad. And I bet your dad had a mom and dad. You say, what's your point? You do not have to trace a church back to the apostles to prove that there's a connection. Listen to me, and I'm almost done. Beehives come from beehives. People come from people. New Testament churches come from New Testament churches. You follow me? I used to have a professor years ago named G. Beecham Vick. Old man, he died about, I think he died in 1975. Here's what he used to say. He had a real raspy voice. He said, gentlemen, if you take a chain and you shake it on this end, and it rattles on that end, then it must be hooked in between. And you 
find a church today that lines up with this book, it must be connected through history somehow, some way. You say you can't trace it. You can't prove it. You can't show the chain link succession. I don't have to. I believe in perpetuity. Perpetuity, brother. I don't have to prove a chain link succession. Now, are there some chain link successions? You'll hear about them. There's some. But we don't have that's not where we stand tonight. Tonight, you have to make up your mind where this church is. Now, if it's in Rome, go to Rome. If it's in Salt Lake City, go to Salt Lake City. If you think it's Nashville, Tennessee, go there. But you better find this church, because I want to be a member of the Lord's kind of church. Well, listen to what this fellow said. He's not a Baptist. I want to give you another quote. Quote, the Baptist may be considered as the only Christian community which has stood since the days of the apostles. And as a Christian society which has preserved pure the doctrines of the gospel throughout all ages, unquote. You know where that book can be, where that statement can be found? Why, that statement is found in the archives of the Dutch Reformed Church, not Baptist. And this statement was made concerning their cousins, the Dutch Baptist in the Netherlands. That's quite a statement. I like to reason with people a little bit here and there, and I say this, well, you know, where did the Church of England come from? And who started the Church of England? And who started the Lutheran church? And who started the Nazarene church? And who started this church? You know, really, when you think about it, there's the two oldest churches in the world. You know what they are? The two oldest churches as far as Christian churches. Baptists and Catholics. That's it. You go back 1,200 years, you have a Baptist and a Catholic church. That's all you got. Now, you've got some renegades. You're always going to have a few... Like I said, you're going to have a few wackos, but they, didn't, they, they were, really were not that many. You have Baptists and Catholics. Now let me ask you, which one do you think holds the Scriptures? Which one do you think? Which kind of church do you think Jesus? Do you think Jesus wore a fish hat and wore a big robe? you think the apostles had little white pieces of paper around their neck and carried big golden crucifixes that probably worth about $75,000? Is that how you think they did Come on, be honest. Be brutally honest. Be candid about it. Face your fear. <laughs> Come on, folks. The kind of church that Jesus Christ started has to be here today or else he lied. He lied. Now, again, I want to say for those watching by television or CD, no, you don't have to be a member of a true New Testament church to go to heaven. Praise God, that's Catholic doc, doc, doctrine. See, the Catholics are the ones that teach you've got to be baptized in our church and you've got to submit to the Holy Mother Church if you hope to get out of purgatory in any good time. That's not us. You don't have to be a member of a true New Testament church to go to heaven, but you do have to be a member of the family of God. You do have to repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ. If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, ha, you don't go. You don't board the plane, no ticket. No playing. you got to have Christ. All right, so that's what I believe. Are you a Presbyterian? Yes. Are you saved? Yes, you're my brother. Man, put it there. I love you, brother. 
Are you a Methodist? Yes, I am. Are you born again? I am born again. Pray. We talked to a born again Methodist this week. I think this, this, uh, this guy really knew the Lord. Man, put it there. You're my brother in Christ. But now, are we members of the same church? No. No, we're not. But we are in the family of God. And that's something. I praise God for that. Here's my, here's my rule of thumb. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, what are you going to give your life for? I'm going to give my life to the church. Now, really, I'm giving my life to Christ, but I'm giving my life to Christ through his church. Well, I don't care what you say. All I care about is Christ. I don't really care about his church. Well, you come to me and you start putting my wife down, and I don't care about your wife. You want to get on my good side? Brag on my wife. Take good care of my wife. Help my wife. And you want the Lord to, to really appreciate you? Love his bride. And so I, I, I want to give my life to what Christ gave his life to. I don't want to go out and start the Dan Farrell evangelistic, you know, association. You know, you've got those kind of things out there where preachers become bigger than life. Not me. When I die, just put our beloved pastor, Dan Farrell. No Dan Farrell evangelistic enterprises. I don't need that. I want to give my life to his church. I hope you understand that. Heads are bowed. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would please now speak to hearts. I know that perhaps this message is uh, a little divisive. It's going to be a little caustic. The truth does divide, and the truth will confront. And uh, Lord, tonight, I just uh, I repudiate this attitude that says, well, this stuff does, doesn't really matter. Dear Lord, I just pray that you would help the members of this church to understand that, yes, there are different intensities and of truth, but truth matters. And this truth tonight is pretty important. And it, it, uh, it just weighs on my heart that Baptist preachers today are afraid to teach out on the truth for fear that someone's going to criticize them or somebody's going to leave the church. And so, Lord, I pray tonight, whatever happens, however the chips may fall, I preach the truth tonight. And I pray if there's someone here tonight that does not agree and thinks I'm wrong, then they, are, they have a right to do that. I just pray that you would help them to study the scriptures and show me where I'm wrong. That's all we all want. I stand on the scriptures. And I pray, O oh Lord, if I stray or if I falter, that somebody would straighten me out and help me to see the truth. O oh Lord, it's the truth. Help us to buy it and to sell it not. Father, I pray that... We hope you were blessed by today's message and want to thank you for joining us on this Discover the Word journey today. If you have a moment, would you join with others in going to iTunes and leaving a good review for us? Thanks. We also invite you to visit our website, discovertheword.net. Until next time, have a wonderful day and may God richly bless you.